Welcome to Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. My name is Young Wee Mayer. And I'm Brian Park. And we're going to start out with our Patreon shout outs. Yeah. So Woo. for those of you who are listening, and if you enjoy our content, please consider supporting our podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash feeling Asian. Young Me and I offer different subscription tiers with different exclusive benefits, but at the bare minimum, any donation amount gets you a shout out on this podcast where Young Me and I guess who you are based on your name alone. Yeah, so the bare minimum is $3 a month. You get a shout out. For $5 a month, you get bonus Patreon episodes, which are chaotic dating episodes, and they get <laughs> sexy and inappropriate. So, <laughs> um, Young Me, are you ready for our first shout out? Yeah. Our first shout out this week goes to Chelsea Johnston. Chelsea Johnston. Why do I have a feeling that she was born in the 80s? She was a 90s kid and she's not letting go of those low rise jeans. That's like what I'm seeing. <laughs> and she she's still, you know, a lot like me, chaotic on these streets. Yeah, I'm getting uh, Bushwick raver girl vibes. You can like, definitely see her nipples through her shirt sometimes. That's fucking cool. That's how, you, <laughs> that's how I know someone's a raver girl is if they wear a shirt and purposely if their they nipples wear a shirt. are protruding. <laughs> it's just like two holes are cut out and it's just the nipples, but it's cool because they're cool. That's, yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> I think we're 100% right about Chelsea Johnston. I agree. <laughs> uh, thank you for <laughs> donating to our Patreon, Chelsea. Our second shout out goes to Sabrina Kiamilev. Sabrina, do you, so what do you think? Sabrina Kiamilev. Tell me what, what's I'm, coming to you, Brian. Hmm, this might be a white person Ooh. from like an Eastern European country. And she <laughs> just extremely fucks with Feeling Asian podcast. She's like one of those. I, I know. I feel like, you know, those like nicknames for white people that really like Asian cultures, like, I feel like they're kind of offensive, but like that yeah, in a tread good carefully. way. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's like, that is, offensive is, thing, is but in a good boo? way. Is a it Korea boo? What's weeaboo again? That's the Japan one? Or just the girls that like Brian on Hinge. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like she has those vibes, but like in not like a bad way. I don't know if those were, are those like sort of negative connotation words? I have no idea. It's person to person. In this case, because she's donating to us, she, she's supporting us on Patreon. It's in a yeah. very cool way. We cool would never way. ascribe those terms to her. And yeah. I think Sabrina, I'm going to guess that she is a model. And she it's travels a lot and does a lot of work in Seoul heavy, and Tokyo. Heavy and then, model, heavy model vibes. Yeah. Heavy model vibes. I'm getting knows, it. Knows more about Asian culture than both of us combined because she spends so much time dominating uh, the market, the fashion market the, in those places. In a, in a respectable way. <laughs> and, when <she> goes, <laughs> and when she goes out in Tokyo, she also wears a t-shirt with her nipples protruding because she's nice. cool and she's going to raves. Nice. <laughs> I, I think that was spot on. Oh, I think we're killing it this episode. Two for two. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sabrina, thank you for your donation. And our last shout out for this episode goes to one name, Valentina. Oh, <gasps> damn. Such hot. a hot name. 
very hot name. Valentina. I think I'm in love with her. (laughs) (laughs) Brian, I'm just saying, I just feel like as Brian gets hornier and hornier because of COVID induced quarantine, it's just every, he's like, she's a ballerina and she has delicate fingers. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Brian, where are you going with these Valentina? For me, I'm seeing like Valentina is like sexy. I'm seeing like seeing roller derby, you know, fucking, Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I'm, that's just no, the vibe that. I'm getting. Just like strong and just like laughs yeah. really loud and everything she says is like super funny and you feel like you, you're friends immediately when you meet her. That's what I'm sensing. Um, yeah, I totally get that. She's the life right? of the party. Yeah. Big Aries energy. She volunteers her home on couch surfing because she <laughs> sincerely <laughs> loves to meet new people. Yeah. And loves... She's just a very gregarious, friendly person. I see that. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Well, Valentina, thank you for donating to our Patreon. And once again, for our listeners, if you like our podcast, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash feeling Asian. Youngmi, I think it's time to introduce our guest this week. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. <laughs> Guys, our guest this week is an incredibly talented photographer. Everyone, please give your ears to Devin Blaskovich. Hi. Hello. <laughs> How's it going? Let's go. Hello. Devin, I just want to point out that you have a very adorable, fluffy bunny sitting behind you. Yes. His name is Blue. It's my partner's. Um, he is a creature, to say the least. I don't really know how to describe it. <laughs> Blue Dabu D Dabu Da. Yeah. That's that is fluent. Yeah, oh, oh my god! <laughs> Sorry, I had to. I'm so embarrassing. <laughs> um, but before we ask you how you feel, Brian, how do you feel? I, I started uh, first last time. I want to know, Brian, how are you feeling? Today is my last day in quarantine post COVID. Brian beat COVID. (laughs) I just have like excess energy right now. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is very sexual. I'm just filled with too much horny and I just have too much energy. (laughs) And wow. uh, Right. So as soon as I'm just excited to get back out into the world and live my life and just expel all this energy because uh, that's how the universe works. There, there needs to be entropy and there's just too much energy contained inside of me. And I feel like the more I talk about it, the creepier it sounds, but yeah. that is just what's going on with me. <laughs> you got to get there's... rid of all the energy through the hole in your penis. Right. Sorry, was that too right. specific? Energy. No, not specific <laughs> enough. Yes, energy is a euphemism for jizz. I just have too much jizz in my body and it needs to come out. Wow. <laughs> wow. This is a this is a new hey. low for us on feeling Asian <laughs> in terms of graphic hey. sexual detail. Hey, 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 hey. I'm just hey. kidding. I'm not shaming you for sexual <laughs> desires. What we're not going to do is shame each other for sexual desires because that's not what Asians <laughs> do in 2021, Brian. I'm excited. Right, but when when I yeah. describe my feeling as a uh, latent excitement to expel ejaculate out of my <laughs> piss hole, I think that warrants 
that warrants shaming. <laughs> Is that that sounds like that's just like your kink? You're just like, well, no, no, I want you to. I should be ashamed. Please, please, make me feel ashamed while I'm please. jizzing. Do I have your permission to jizz, please? Uh, this is horrible, <laughs> Brian. I know. I mean, it's funny because I, Devin, I accidentally gave Brian COVID, not on purpose, obviously. But it's funny see, watching his journey because, like, he's like a few days behind me, and it's like <laughs> it, every stage we're feeling exactly the same. <laughs> oh, so you've been you've been, you've been where I'm at right now. Yep, a few a few days ago, I feel like maybe five. I think I'm like I got it contracted at five or six days ahead of you. But it, it's really weird how COVID works like clockwork. Wow. And so I was at that stage, and Brian's gonna now, get so mad at me. Now, yeah, this might be too personal of a question. Yeah. That concludes how I feel, but I want to know, since I'm five days behind you, within those five days, have you had a sexual intimate encounter yet? Let me tell you something, Brian, before I get into how I feel. And uh, let me just let me just tell you something. I OK, I just want to say, yes, five days ago, I was feeling how you feel. But, you know, what's really funny. I was going to say this. Brian has been texting me and he was like, just like like been texting me for three two or three days now just getting heated on like internet topics you know like news stories oh, no. and like so, you know like just issues like internet issues <laughs> and it's funny because like five six days ago when i had been cooped up in my house for like two weeks and i like mm -hmm. i was getting fucking filled with rage every day just like online <laughs> like tweeting away like my fucking thoughts and emotions like this is a shame what's going on in this country like just like fucking so like emotional about all these issues and brian like sent me a news article today and he was like like just texting away his feelings and i was like oh this is literally what i was going through like five days ago <laughs> so it's shockingly similar what we're going through and uh -huh. then don't Brian's going to get so mad at me. I literally, literally just spent the last two days, like just getting fucked. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you. And now I'm just like, why, why the fuck was, what the fuck was I so upset about? Why was oh I so angry God. on the internet? Now I'm just like, I'm, I'm kind of sleepy and relaxed. Is how I I'm feeling. I fucking hate you so much right now, young me. Holy shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, but um, you know, I feel I I just went through that arc like the I'm angry about the state of the world and now I'm like whatever, man. Just fucking dystopia. Bring it on. I'm, I'm over Oh my everything. god. I could tell that there was you had a very chill, calm vibe about you since the you last time I saw you. I had like, just yeah. fucked energy. <laughs> you have <laughs> <laughs> you, you you have big JFE, big just fucked energy. <laughs> okay, good. So, oh my god. So I look you know forward what? to like in four or five days, you're gonna be where I'm at. You're gonna be like la la la. Uh, uh, there's no guarantee. It's either one of two things will happen. It's either one, I will be very calm because I'll be in a post just fucked energy state, or. I will fully have just become a men's rights activist <laughs> in cell. <laughs> like we're you, teetering on the edge here. Every everything's gonna be my fault. That's like your your villain origin story. It all started when my podcast co-host gave me COVID. And I've just been filled with rage and cum ever since. <laughs> 
Oh my oh god. god. Yeah, everything's uh, yeah. Everything's so uh, I'm feeling great. That's all I got going on. Hey, I love it. I love it. Devin, how are you feeling? I am fine. I'm doing great, I think. Uh, I don't have COVID, so uh, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. Um, I hope you guys watch those, uh, those movie recommendations I sent you, because they're both, they both have JFC, like, or JFE, Just Fucked Energy. That, uh, really? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I just I'm watched, on that wave right now. Uh, I just watched yeah, the movie. one of one of the movies you sent us was a Wong Kar Wai film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his movies have it's like just too much energy. sexual tension. Yeah, yeah. The the other one I sent was uh, Simon Long um, Wayward Cloud, and the first scene is like a guy like fingering a watermelon in front of like a woman, um, and it's all oh. ASMR. It's it's great though. It's an incredible film. Um, <laughs> So that you can always fall back Let's on that for your freedom. And then you can, uh, I'm literally, <laughs> I'm literally going to watch that movie today. I was really busy for the past few days, but I have time now. So I will definitely watch that movie today. Yeah, it's good. Um, I'm doing okay. My, um, my partner's in the process of like moving. Um, so it's been mm. a lot of like just active driving and storage and like physical labor, which is like, helped me escape some of the internal, um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just disassociating, but like doing things like moving <laughs> couches and like fucking like lifting dressers and like packing things and like throwing shit out has like helped me sort of like escape the mental demons a little bit, I guess, or like uh, sort of just realize that I'm like still a physical person, like not trapped in like a room, but like being able to be active. Um, but that's, that's been interesting. It's been a couple like weeks cause we were doing it like trip at a time. Um, mm-hmm. But creatively, like, really stifling as well, because, like, because it's, like, taking a lot of time. I haven't, like, made work in a while, and I, like, turned Mm. down two jobs that were, like, really just, like, low-paying or, like, really, like, taking advantage, and I was like, I don't need this, and then I, like, was on hold for a big job and then lost that, and they were just like, COVID, see you next season, and it was, like, one of those, like, Mm. kind of, like, dream editorials so like that all together oh, <laughs> was like really fun so that, that must have been really hard yeah fuck. but like losing something really nice and then like turning some turning something down that was really bad was like let me be like i am in control of my actions sort of <laughs> not really but like, <laughs> oh yeah but there's like some semblance of that that like ties together maybe I'm not sure. <laughs> well, in spite of all this chaos, uh, thank you for joining us on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And for our listeners who aren't familiar with you or your work uh, specifically, uh, just to give them a little bit of background, um, from what I know about you, you are biracial, you're Korean American. Yes. That, but you also grew up with in like a single white parent household. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, I'll try to like summate this like quickly if I can, I guess. Uh, my mother is white and my father, my real father is Korean. They were like high school um. sweethearts. Um, mm. She got pregnant when she was like 20. And then he has been in and out of like prison his whole life. So I've seen him like a handful mm. of times. So I was raised by her until I was like maybe like nine or something. She remarried like another Korean man. Um, Mm -hmm. after that. So then from then on, I was like, they have other kids who are like my half siblings and stuff. Um, but this, uh, my stepfather is also like, 
he moved here when he was seven and it's like not really familial Mm -hmm. or like he doesn't like he can't read Korean and like I don't know he like hit me and made me work for his business for free for like my teenage (laughs) years but that's like the most Korean influence I've gotten really from him Um, (laughs) but then I was also like not the first son if that makes sense so like more ostracized Mm. by his Korean family um, never took his name, oh, okay. which is like why like I have like such a white name because like my real father and her mm-hmm. never got married, and then like he didn't mm-hmm. adopt me, so I like don't right. have like a signif. I guess you know what you would call like an immediate signifier of like something you could like see, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, like semi like definitely like just white American like youth, and then like towards like formative years had like some sort of semblance of it but not really because I didn't participate in like the rituals or anything but like I had siblings that had like first birthdays or like hundred day things and like Uh they did like you know lunar new year or like random like celebratory like things that I'm like too I was too young to remember what they were about or anything but like old enough to not be a part of them, <laughs> I guess. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's like a weird combo. <laughs> um, what taught you, what are your feelings about the fact that your mom was like, had two separate, like Korean partners? Like, how does that, like, do you have any thoughts or feelings about that or? Um, I think it's like more, I don't want to say coincidence or circumstantial, but like, mm. like yeah. she's dated other people, like, like white people and like Spanish people. And like, she's like, dating a, like a white man now because <laughs> they got divorced okay. i don't know she's just like a hot woman that like kind of is like popular so like she can date whoever she wants and is like <laughs> chilling um, right so i don't know i think and, it's just like a human experience of being like maybe american as well mm-hmm. like dating different ethnicities is like something that right everyone does <laughs> yeah because brian and you- i have talked about sorry we, brian and i have talked about it where it's like you know a lot of times people are like oh if you only date like asians that's weird or whatever but when we were discussing it we're just like there are multiple ways that things like that can happen and it's not always like weird or like you know like there's no like preference sometimes life just happens so i'm yeah. glad that you said that i think it's it's also maybe just a different era as well where there was like pre-internet dating like the awareness was more circumstantial mm-hmm. and if you like found someone that was like interesting for you at the time like there was like this less um the whole world is yours like mentality as well so if you like feel good about mm-hmm. something you commit to it whereas like now with like dating apps and websites it's like like you face the idea that there's someone always out there at all times i think that that's like right. a right. different sensibility that maybe we as like a different generation of like millennials maybe consider more versus like a mm. lot of older generations like in America were like, I like this person. So I dated and then we got married and like, yeah, like, right. Right. How would you say your relationship to your Korean identity has evolved over time? Um, I don't know. I think it's, it's been like a, I'm like half Korean, half Scandinavian, like all American, mm-hmm. like probably like I, mm-hmm. I would not like attribute right. something like that. Um, and then like when I was like 17 or like I turned 18, I moved to New York for like the last like 10 years. So I like left the tradition side of it. And then like being in like a big city just allows you to like be more globally cultured. And I guess I like never searched mm-hmm. for that identity up until like maybe more recently. Yeah. Because I know when we connected over Instagram, you mentioned that 
you were thinking about developing a longer body of work that mm. like documented Korean Americans in a self-identity search. And, uh, you know, COVID might have thrown those plans um, like, you know, on hold for now. But I'm wondering, like, was that inspired partially by your own life or like just where you were at in your stage of life and like yeah. kind of reconciling like your own feelings? I think it's like a mix of just like also like spending time or being busy, like doing like I would say your individual like search or like something like that. Where when I was in New York, I was like looking for maybe success or just like trying to get by or like not considering longer term things. Like I was working a lot more in fashion, which is like definitely just like get a job, like shoot for someone else. And I guess like shifting mm -hmm. into more documentary practice maybe, or just considering other things. Like I've never searched for self beyond like, you know, dealing with like my like manic depression, which is like enough of its own accord to then like <laughs> not try to attach like what is my culture into that, I guess, um, mm -hmm. was like something that was just like maybe not saying I was too busy to deal with it, but I had like, had prioritized other concerns. Um, and right. I, I do wonder mm. if being in California and like seeing like the home or like readdressing like a domesticity, like has like led to that more or also like the cusp of like what, um, like people of colors, like identity is important. Um, I've seen a lot mm -hmm. of like, or become aware of like the idea that just like making work or like making art for the sake of making art and it can be about anything is like such a point of like maybe like white privilege, like mm. especially in like mm -hmm. photography where it's like, you know, these mm. people in like America in like, you know, the seventies, eighties or whatever, they just like made photos of fucking buildings and stuff. And like, that was inherently important enough to gravitate to success in some way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas like the person of color's experience is that like, you have to address like your, like who you are. And that is like mm -hmm. so intrinsically tied in like your life and artistic practice. It is a privilege to like be able to just like bend a steel structure and call it art. And like, right. it doesn't have to do anything besides its form. And I think that yeah. that's like, mm. I guess maybe that's like a more American like standpoint. Cause I'm sure there's like people in like Asian cultures that have done that, but also coming from like, learning about art and education from like a Western perspective has like led me mm -hmm. to believe or like sometimes idolize these artists because I still love a few of them, but then like coming full circle to realize like they were only able to make this like land art or like these like straight photographs of buildings because they didn't have to grapple with some sort of like identity crisis or like cultural like misplacement mm -hmm. of like being yeah. like forced to be here or something like that. And, like, I would say that's, yeah. like, a very male and, like, white Western-centric, like, privilege that is, like, not addressed yeah. as much. Um, yeah. Mm. I think Brian and I were actually talking about this right before we got on the call with you. Right, Brian? Because you're bringing up the W Magazine photo shoot recently? Yeah. Yeah. This is something that we've discussed where, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar you know, there's this photo shoot that went viral on social media um, for W Magazine, where this photographer by the name of Jurgen Teller, as a person who does not know photography slingo or just a regular consumer, his whole shtick is kind of 
presenting celebrities as very regular, normal people. But mm. the reason why these photos went viral is that they're just like objectively bad. And a lot of people, it kind of <laughs> broke a lot of people's brains because yeah. the whole idea of celebrity is they are these icons and you want to present them as role models and, and very empowering and like capture their beauty and their charisma. And Jurgen Teller's whole thing was like, okay, we're going to go to this like stupid neighborhood. Here's like a piece of shit chair and I'm just going to take a photo with you. The lighting's intentionally bad. Mm -hmm. And my... My thought process on all of that is there's gatekeepers and higher ups and like creative directors who probably see this and observe Jurgen's work through mm -hmm. that white privilege lens where mm -hmm. the only like I feel like these artistic risks, they're only afforded to white people because when Jurgen, someone like Jurgen Teller does it. It's it's it has like a cultural cachet. It's really avant garde and risque. Like look at him take this beautiful person and make them look shitty. Like mm -hmm. that's so badass and punk rock. But I don't POC artists. They're not afforded the same critical lens. I think yeah. that we're held to a much much higher standard. And I don't know. Like oftentimes, I don't. I I don't. I can't say for sure, but my mm -hmm. feeling is that if a POC photographer presented those photographs that Jurgen Teller presented and yeah. got published, people would be like, mm -hmm. what the fuck is this fucking bullshit? Yeah. Like this is objectively horrible. Like I'm offended that you would even so, like yeah. present this as your artwork. I think the assumption would be that the person of color didn't know what they were doing. Like it wasn't on purpose. <laughs> They're just like bad at it or something maybe. But that, that's also a bit the uh, part in Ka Kathy Park Hong's book. We always talk about minor feelings um, where she says like the art world is basically just rich white guys that just like, here's a pile of t-shirts because they woke up and they're like, they did too much heroin for five days or whatever. And then it's like $13 million. And that's like so much <laughs> of the art world. And she's just like, why, you know, why do they get this freedom to do the least and get the most, which is, you know, white supremacy. <laughs> Devin, I'm curious. What are your thoughts on those photographs? Like unlike work like Jurgen Teller's where it is this to the average person that looks like shitty. Well, I, I guess like there's obviously like, you have to like assess it through like this larger art context. Yeah, you know? I mean, there's a couple like a couple factors that immediately come to mind to consider are like a this year or like recent times have like called for in a good way. A lot of people of color being highlighted as like pioneering actors and like everything like that. It's like quality content is like being brought into the canon, which is like good. Mm -hmm. But this is recent. And like also on the other hand, Jurgen Teller's been famous like for a long time. And like mm. this yeah. particular shoot was like even more like self-referential, which is like an increasing motif of his of like it used to be like casual, like some of his work is like pretty good. Um casual, like self-referential photography, like the unstyled right. style. But when you yeah. like apply that as like maybe a first look at a person of color. Like, a, mm -hmm. like understanding like W Magazine's audience, right? Is like there's a lot of white people that have probably never seen like Minati or like, um, right? These like other films, like uh, the Judas film as well, and um, this is their first experience of these people, 
and mm-hmm. like first even just watching it or like being educated on it. And like, there's something mm-hmm. inherently wrong in that. Uh, maybe not inherently know, wrong, but yeah. like, there's like some sense of like these two things arching together is like this, like, yes, we're like, hi- like we've been like on this like upward trend to highlight like um, people of color and artists and like right. cinema and film. But then like, if like I would say a general audience is like first impression of them is this, like what is their intention mm-hmm. to like watch a film about it or like, or like maybe uh, not highlight yeah, it. Right. Um, I've been reading um, this book about uh, photography's like neoliberal realism, which is like, I don't know, but it's basically about how like photographers like Annie Leibovitz over the course of the years have used like camp and like pop culture to like, Mm-hmm. visually highlight like white artists or like artists of success to like promote like capitalism mm-hmm. of like they shoot mm-hmm. like presidents or like successful like white musicians in these like hero poses and like then mm-hmm. like yeah. how they highlight people of color there was like this backlash last year of like her photographs of like an african-american woman and like how she yeah, like kind of really fucked up right, the skin with, like, tones. LeBron James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like that reference mm-hmm. too of like LeBron James with this like white actress in its like exact parallel like, to like King, like Kong. King Kong. And like yeah. mm-hmm. so there's this this thing that like supports a sense of like white capitalism or just like treating people of color as either props, objects, or like mm-hmm. not visually showing them in the same sense. Because photography, you can trick anything. Like you can make, you can light it super dynamic and make them look moody and dark, or you could light them to be like poppy mm-hmm. and happy. And like those visual choices shift, um, a normal consumers like vision of how they see this person. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a choice to be made. So like this idea that like, this is probably the first glimpses of these like actors of color on these like great films. And it's being presented right. in this like extremely, bland fashion versus like maybe the last year's one that had like all these white actors that was like dramatized and shot in like a very produced location and like highlights them as like these like very inspiring, happy people. Like there's something like maybe inherently troubling with that. Um, So those are like these two things Mm -hmm. that are like hard to maybe contextualize if you're not familiar with like, Jurgen Teller, right. then you're like upset that right. like his norm core of fashion is the thing, but then you have to make, like, you have to understand that like just because he shoots this like this style that's like quote unquote unstyled doesn't mean mm-hmm. it doesn't do a disservice on like a first glance to other people or like people that haven't been seen that's before. The, yeah. That is such a great that's point. Such a good point. Also, I always feel like as a person of color, I've talked about this before, but when when white people make choices for you and you're just sitting there like this doesn't feel right. But then you're like, (laughs) if you say that, then you sound crazy. You know, Mm -hmm. you're like, you know, I get it. This guy is famous and I trust you, but this is weird feeling to me. And then it's and then you never get a solid answer because, you know, like we talked about this a few a long time ago, like last year about like the Alison Roman thing. And like when people were accusing her of being racist and I was like, well, she's always mean to Asian people. But like if I say that, I seem like a psycho. And then she's like, no, I'm not. And then it's like, and then we're always put in this place as people of color where the uncertainty is the slipperiness of it, you know? And Mm -hmm. we're like, did they do that on purpose? Or like, am I crazy? You know? 
Absolutely. I think one of the, the common, like this, like back and forth as well is like, there's a lot of people like justifying Jurgen Teller's work as well, being like, he's a great mm-hmm. artist and this is like ironic or post postmodern. And like, this is like right. whatever, but those people are like a part of like this, like maybe New York, LA sort of industry that are mm-hmm. so yeah. adhered to like what quote unquote, like creative or art direction is but don't see like the bigger picture of how it affects a person that's like not in New York or LA. That's like been knowing of this like famous, like white artist or something like that. So like it, I can see Mm -hmm. like also in the other section of like, if they went too far into like dramatizing them, then it goes into like caricature and like kitsch and like appropriation Mm -hmm. too. But like, it's like, you know, you have like this like balance here where it's like, this is appropriation of like, let's put all of these like, people in their like diaspora and like cultural outfits or something. But then you have like, let's balance them here in like nothingness basically, or like Mm. so unstyled that it's like not feasible. And like, like I could Mm. see maybe wanting to not do that, but like within like, I would say what American commerce and like editorial is, was just like a mismatch or it was just, Cause like he's um, done good shoots as well. Like he's a successful mm-hmm. photographer, but I think that this specific piece of work like missed the mark, but people mm. who justify this are justifying his like entire Canon or like his entire like mm-hmm. oeuvre right. versus right. like mm-hmm. just seeing this as like this failed. Cause if you imagine like, right. um, Tyler Mitchell's first shoot for Vogue, like the first black photographer and like whatever shooting for like Beyonce and like this huge, um, yeah kind of like idolization, which is like good to highlight a person of color. But like, if those were these photos, for example, like how would it, um, right. How would it be like contrasted or like looked down upon as like, this is what this mediocre work is. And like, I don't know, I think it's like maybe (laughs) just too, right. Right. It's just too art directed or self referential. And like, we get it. And like, we have this discourse about it, but it's the, right fucking tens of thousands of other people that will buy this magazine that are going to suffer from it. That must be the challenge with photography is that you're constantly walking this tightrope. And even speaking to that project that you touched on earlier, where, you know, you wanted to do a longer form project that kind of explored uh, yourself in a way. Um, You mentioned like in our conversation that, you were calling into question your own motives and whether you were playing into a colonizing tendency that photographers tend to do with foreign cultures. And um, I thought I thought that self-scrutiny was, you know, it showed that you're really thoughtful and very conscious about your work, but it's, you know, just to like an average person, I've never, I don't, I, I didn't really like ever see photography in that way. And I was wondering if you could yeah. like speak to that. Um, I, I think there's just like this idea too of like maybe growing up in like America as well as like you're taught of these greats in like artistic culture. Like you're maybe taught of like these famous photographers doing this body of work. But on a certain sense, like uh, you see that as like a colonizing tendency because I'm only taught of these like famous white photographers. And maybe, yes, they did make work in like maybe Asia or like the Middle East. But like they're like a white person going to a country for a couple of weeks, taking photographs, bringing them back to be celebrated without uh, consideration, maybe, or like a deeper learning to something like that. Yeah. And I think that mm-hmm. there's like a very 
like Western lens. That's like, it, it's hard to like describe it, but it's like visually identifiable, like possibly mm-hmm. like there's like, if you look at, there's this one story of like Steve McCurry, he shot this like national geographic cover for this Afghan girl. Like the, she was like a young mm-hmm. right. adult, like wearing a burqa oh. with her like hand, like yeah. her mask it's down. It's that iconic yeah, that iconic. It's like a very national, famous photo. Yeah, super famous. Has like piercing blue eyes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he photographed that in like '84 or something like that, and like mm. they like it was for a charity that like raised money for people in Afghanistan, possibly. And like, I mean, yes, they did, but this specific woman, the subject of the photograph, they didn't know who she was. Like, she was never identified until like 20 years later. Mm. In which case right. she was like not famous. She didn't even know she was famous or like amongst these images, mm. they like eventually like rephotographed her. And then she was like deported from Afghanistan and like all oh of this God. stuff. But like, this is like a 20 year discourse, right? Between mm-hmm. this white person coming and photographing you, profiting mm-hmm. off it, like getting famous. And then 20 mm-hmm. years later, like, he felt like possibly white guilt and like found her and it's been like corrected probably since. And like, there's articles about her like getting money now and like she has a house, but like that, that discourse of this, like, you know, huge period of someone's life where not only did you not know you were like, your likeness was published across the world. Then this like white photographer was like famous for it. And then, like, mm-hmm. you still had to, like, live your life or, like, I don't know. But there, there's, like, mm-hmm. this is, like, a famous right. instance, but there's, like, versions of this everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Like, even from the amateur side of, like, white people from America, like, going on, a, like, a fucking safari or, like, going to Asia and taking pictures of, like, yep. grandmas, like, carrying, like, like, bags and shit. It's, like, it's appropriation that, in a yeah. certain sense. And it's all for... That is- Oh, what's her benefit, I guess. That's such a big part of, like, white art, period, you know? Yeah. Getting money off yeah. of, of... That's such a perfect, like, example. But I remember that story because I remember the 20-year-later article because I read it, and it was so... I'm sorry, but so offensive. It was like, <laughs> we found her in the desert, and you could see the rough lines cut across her face because of all these years of starvation and struggle. And I was like, bitch... That's your fault. <laughs> Bro, that's your fucking fault. You made a majillion dollars off of this poor fucking woman. And it was also yeah. like in this like condescending misogynist tone. Like they kept being like the most beautiful girl in the world. We found her and she's not that hot anymore. It was like that, you know, it was like this horrible fucking horrible article. And I was like, mm. how, how can you write this wrong? This big of a wrong? You can't. You, there's no way, like what you said, like the last 20 years of her life has been not good. And it's like, and you have like a fucking loft penthouse somewhere. I feel like it permeates across almost every industry. And right now the feeling I have is, yeah. uh, now that I'm aware of this, this is, I, I should be more critical about w- what, like the content that I'm consuming because... I'm just reminded now of an earlier conversation that I've had with a previous guest of ours, mm-hmm. Natalie Alcar, and she's from Lebanon. And, you know, I was asking her for her about Beirut one time and my only conception of Beirut was an old, like Anthony Bourdain, no reservations episode mm-hmm. yeah. in Beirut. 
And she was like, I fucking hate, like, I love his work, but I fucking hated that episode specifically Mm. because they were trying to push this narrative that Beirut is this incredibly war-torn area and it's dangerous. And she was like, every photo or every film, like, shot they took was near, like, a building that looks kind of damaged from war. Mm -hmm. But -hmm. she's like, yeah, but they didn't capture the beautiful luxury building right next to it because it doesn't fit it like doesn't fit the narrative the narrative yeah Mm -hmm. right they cropped (laughs) out the target they're like just photoshop the target out of there right and so she felt it was like a very um western and inaccurate portrayal of this place she calls home and she said Mm. no it's like a beautiful place but like it doesn't capture as many eyeballs when you don't sensationalize the mm-hmm. the bad quote unquote bad parts of it. Yeah, I've been um yeah. like this is like part of this like research I've kind of been doing is like um I was like taught photography and taught workshops and stuff and like been like very well researched, but I would say Korean specifically, like Korean photography is like not taught in like the Western canon of like mm. famous historic um Korean I mean art in general, but like uh photography and I was like spending like weeks like having trouble finding like images not made of white people in Korea like not made by Mm -hmm. white people and I was like trying to find because like like if I'm like on this project and I was like I don't really want to particularly go to Korea right now to take photographs because that's like I have possibly like I'm not possibly probably a Western lens and like the, like whatever mm. I photograph is like not from a place of like introspection. It's all what I see visually and what I document. Mm. And that's like, that is like a very like Western idea of like going to mm. a new place, seeing what inspires you and like taking images. So I was like looking for a reference of like maybe formally, like what was like a common maybe trope or like what was, Mm. what was the lighting looking like? Because you can make anything look like whatever. Like I can photograph an old person like naturally with like a window light and they look, you know, how they are like at home or you like shoot it with like a front flash. Then they look like really uh, nuanced or documentary or you shoot them like really harsh and it looks like an Avedon or something. There's like so many ways to portray something like visually Mm. So I was like looking for what was like the diaspora of like visual culture there. And it was like super hard to look Mm -hmm. into. Um, I've like been doing more research about like a collective catalog from like a group exhibition of that. But I mean, it's all varied, but it's interesting to see how little is taught of like aestheticization. Because like if you look at Japanese photography in America, it's like talking about the provoke Mm -hmm. era of like post-war, really gritty, black and white. There's like a visual style that is taught of like Mm -hmm. this is what japan or like japanese photography looks like at this like historic time period or you look at like ren Mm -hmm. hung or like you know like what you see in like contemporary asian culture photography of like this front flash makes it like more fetishized or like talking about Mm -hmm. the harshness of the body or something but it's like right when you look at that that's like a handful of artists picked out by like the western canon to be highlighted as this is the visual mm. definition taught in America about like what Chinese photography is like or what mm-hmm. Japanese photography is like. Um, uh, and that like, this yeah. is just like what I've been grappling with, like on my like internal, like thing of like, I don't want to go to career photograph cause it will be inherently, I know nothing about it historically. And it would like yeah. not attribute anything to like mm. my upbringing, 
But I also am like wondering how to approach it as well. Or like I'm thinking about like photographing like Korean adoptees because like I Mm -hmm. know a couple that like want to be photographed because they were raised in America in like white culture. But that's not my specific upbringing either. Mm, And like what, how does that landscape? Because like I I was, I had a phone call with your last guest, Emmanuel, who was like really great and like helping me. Um, yeah. Cause like he photographed like the Korean Uzbeks in like New York. And that was like, mm-hmm. right. Specifically timepiece. And it was like really structured and stuff. But I, I think about the visual representation as well. And like, I'm trying to mm-hmm. learn about that a little more about like mm-hmm. whatever I do as like a commercial photographer in like New York is like probably like not a truism maybe but I don't want to be, I don't want to be fucking colonizer with the excuse that like my bloodline is Korean or something. That's like, sounds so (laughs) I have a lot of feelings about that. I feel like as an Asian person period and as a biracial person, I think, you know, obviously there are a lot of people that don't see us as Asian as we are, or they don't allow us to be Asian or whatever. I feel like, you know, I just always think about that thing that Karen Chi said as an Asian person, you know, whatever you do is like you're as an Asian person, you are because you are an Asian person. So like how it's different, like even though you are half white, like it's different than just a white person doing it. It's just yeah. way different. You know what I mean? And like I recently I've gotten in a lot of conversations with people who don't consider me Korean, which is just shut the fuck up. But uh, that's to <laughs> them, not you. But like being in Korea, like I feel like even though Koreans do like sometimes have like a slur against biracials and stuff but for the most part they're just like oh think yeah you're fucking korean as shit like you're one of us we don't care if you don't speak korean or whatever you know like they're just like very accepting and i think i think there's a huge difference between a biracial korean white person doing what you're saying that you know maybe you would want to do or maybe you will do versus just like a fucking straight up white i think there's a huge difference personally but you know who knows those are all the thoughts that you know all of us grapple with and i feel like the same thing about adoptees i feel like there are so many similarities between Mm -hmm. adoptees even like you know like brian like asian americans who were like born and raised here and biracial people i feel like we all have like similar feelings so it makes sense i'm kind of curious like what are your feelings on instagram then and the role it has on what you just described uh, mm. like preserving like aesthetics in a respectful way globally. Cause I imagine in Instagram, it's like junk food. A lot of people aren't doing the research and you're kind of just cherry picking things that you think look quote unquote cool. And I think mm. as a side effect, there could be a sort of flattening effect where mm-hmm. everything just kind of gets blended into just one singular aesthetic. And I'm kind of curious, like, yeah, um, I if guess. If you have any thoughts or feelings on all of that. No, uh, I think Instagram's an interesting platform because at the same time that, like, Instagram's a global entity, like, I am not connected to, like, there's, like, there's pockets of everything. Like, I'm sure, mm. like, I've looked through, like, uh, in, in my, like, quote, unquote, initial research, I, like, tried Instagram and, like, looked and asked for friends for references of, like, Korean artists in America, and they were, like, all minimalist like fashion influencers or something so it was like mm-hmm. my my initial pocket or my two degrees of separation only brought me to this segment of people and because instagram is so right. democratic now like there's pockets that i mm-hmm. probably will never access literally because i don't 
know the Korean language and can't like type in the actual terms to reach a certain culture or something, or like how you guys are like mine as well. Like your initial network is all based in like New York, for example, or like based mm-hmm. in like yeah. a very metropolitan city. And like I was talking to Emmanuel and like Andrew Kong about like their documentary about like the Mississippi Delta Chinese. And like that's like mm-hmm. a segment, but that's not their segment either. But like it's social media was allowing that to be brought to light to everyone. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's I don't know, it's all disseminated as well. Like I also think of just like my role as like doing fashion photography for like, you know, half a decade or something like that. And like you know, the people that I've like casted or the people that I've like done for shoots and how like not represented that was because it was tied to commerce Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. Instagram for me as a professional photographer is tied to promoting work that I do. Not everything about like my identity, I guess. And like, there's like people that do documentary projects solely. And like, that's like their platform to like showcase everything that they do and like it's very pointed Mm -hmm. but as someone who does like commercial work for example like actually i shot danny like a couple of years ago for like a purse company oh okay (laughs) Uh, (laughs) oh yeah i saw that in the email yeah yeah. but like (laughs) that like that would never be tied to like i mean i he was like one of like 10 people i shot that day on a roof in bushwick Mm -hmm. but i would never tie those photos of him that i've like i like talk to him for like a couple sentences maybe but I like would never tie that to like my work about like self-identity or something because the context was different Mm -hmm. sure and like I would never Mm -hmm. post that of being like this is like me photographing like an empowered like other person of like eastern asian descent because there's like what you were talking about in the last episode or maybe two episodes ago about that new york times article of like do you attempt to just normalize and integrate the Asian American experience into your regular work or do you focus your work to stylize or highlight like an Eastern Asian experience Mm. or something Mm. like that. I think it was like that Stephen Young article and like, yeah, there's like different tropes for that. But I think Instagram is like so democratized now. It's a hard platform for me to like try to tie in those. And it seems reachy and like, I would like never Mm. try to, bring these tropes together if they were not like organically tied like I've definitely Mm -hmm. like casted like Asian models for like a lot of fashion shoots not because of like my um, desire to like expand on this but just because they were like the best for this job or something so right but I think that there's like some people that do social media really well that's so niched and pointed that it's like very educational it's very inspiring and Mm. it's it's like not not what I've done specifically or like not what I've done personally, but I've seen it exist in other pockets. Mm-hmm. But because Instagram is like right. so wide that it like depending on your network versus this network can only reach a certain number of people, I guess. Um, that is such an interesting take on like how things reach you through Instagram because everyone has Instagram, but all I'm sure everyone's Instagram looks so different than mine, you know, yeah. and like ours, the three of us, like yeah. ours probably look kind of similar. I feel like it's like a double edged sword, you know? Yeah. And there's, there's, it depends on the intention of mm-hmm. the, like the person's Instagram, but it exacerbates the extremes because using fashion as an easy example, like I feel like fashion's just become more 
monolithic with Instagram and yeah. everything is like all the trends are the same globally. Whereas before there were certain pockets that were untouched where they were dressing in a way where I just wouldn't be aware of. But mm -hmm. if you look at videos of people walking in Beijing or <laughs> in like freaking like San Francisco, there's, there's going to be more similarities yeah. than you would like that then meets the eye because like mm. Instagram just kind of flattened that playing field. Uh, before we let you go, Devin, we want to ask you, what is something that you're proud of? Oh yeah. There's this one. Uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> this got really heady and dark instead of, uh, feeling and like happy and stuff. But, no, uh, it's, like, it's great. <laughs> no apologies. It's perfect. Um, Don't apologize for your feelings. I, I like talking about it. It's been interesting to just consider, I guess, from a distance as well. Um, something I'm proud of, uh, I am super depressed all the time and I suffer from like manic depression. So I'm proud every day to still be alive and hang out and <laughs> suffer and, do my, what's that like meme of like every day I like do my little, uh, micro doses <laughs> and watch my little Wong Kar Wai films or like, <laughs> I'm happy to, uh, I'm happy to like be in existence too as well. I'm like really like, I was worried that I was going to like fucking die, like not being in like a city with like constant mm. work and interaction and like. Um, being in a space that was like really surrounded by people. And I thought this isolation, like even pre COVID, just like doing like LA or something was going to like kill me. So I'm like mm -hmm. happy to like mm. still have the desire to continue to create mm -hmm. things, especially amongst like this, like really depressive period of life for everyone. Um, like not to be too like fucking grandiose about it, but I was like really questioning the futility of like art in general or commerce specifically with like fashion too, of like why, mm -hmm. like now, but um, right. I guess everyone just has to like do what they can to survive too. And like, maybe that's like selfish or like a personal growth, but I'm happy to like still want to like make something and live if, it, even if it's like less than mm -hmm. before or something like that, I'm like proud of that. And then I'm also just, proud to feel the need to search for something even if it's like maybe mm. there's no conclusion like we've been like going back and forth on all of this shit and like there's no like answer <laughs> who knows right <laughs> um, but i'm happy to like mm -hmm. i'm proud to try to search for it or at least like not uh or maybe just understand that other people will or continue to do so and there's probably dozens of artists that are better articulating this than me which I'm like proud to then like learn about through like a piece of effort and like maybe just not subscribe to like a Western canon because I spent months searching for like quote unquote just like historic uh, Korean photographers and I came up with like nothing or like like mm. five to ten artists like working right. in photography in the history of like all of Korea. Like that's fucking false. Like it's like impossible. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So then like through perseverance, I've like found a couple and like, I've had to like purchase like doctrines or like whatever, but like knowing that it exists through like, it just needs to be uncovered makes me happy to know that like someone probably has done this better than me or like someone will continue to highlight that. And like, that's, Mm. inspiring to know that like even though my experience is like completely different from that that there's a source of reference or something I can like maybe learn from because I right. mean there's also like not a necessity for like learning about your cultural history or importance you just like make your way through your fucking life mm -hmm. and like try to survive yeah. but 
Um, this is just something I've experienced and I'm like happy to have like a resource to do that or know that it's there just takes time. <laughs> I sort of say uh, something you just said, you're like, I'm happy to, <laughs> to hang out and suffer. That's like the most Korean thing I've ever heard anyone say. So <laughs> I told you you're Korean. <laughs> I'm just happy to hang out and suffer. <laughs> I was like, my mom here <laughs> so oh my god just so no, nice talking no, to you that's so korean no amount of western brainwashing will ever take that away from you they can't <laughs> that's they just can't take away the shame of existence they can't take that away yeah my god oh Devin thank you so much for being here today with us over zoom where can our listeners find you on Instagram uh, my Instagram <laughs> social media is Dev Blaskovich which is like stupid to pronounce um, but D-E-V-B-L-A-S-K-O-V-I-C-H I had to spell it out um, <laughs> no one gets it right ever I get it. <laughs> so yeah that's that's where I'm at how about you, Brian? Where can our listeners find you? You guys can find me on socials at it's Brian Park. And what about you, Young Me? YM Mayor and my TikTok is Young Me Mayor. Remember, you can follow our podcast on Instagram at Feeling Asian Podcast and our TikTok at Feeling Asian Podcast. Yeah, and if you're looking for a sound engineer, please consider hitting up Sarah Pack on Instagram at im underscore p a k t. That is at impact. And if you made it this far, thank you again. And yeah, bye guys. Bye.